Okay, let's get it. It is Locked on LSU, your team every day. I'm Matt Moscona. You probably know that by now, but thanks for finding us here on the Locked on LSU podcast, your team every day. Uh, LSU gets game one of the Auburn series. We will recap it, preview game two, look ahead to uh, game three as well on Saturday, what we might see. Also, Elaine Kiffin joined off the bench with Jordi Collada, T-Bob Bear. Talked a little bit about Ed Ogeron. We'll get to that, your Q&A. A lot we'll do here today on this edition of Locked on LSU. So uh, the Tigers win. They go out and they take game one of the series against Auburn with a 7-1 to win. And it was just about perfect uh, if you're LSU. Just about perfect if you're LSU and what you would hope to accomplish in this ballgame. Um, as we talked about yesterday, with uh, Auburn choosing to keep Jack Owen and uh, Tanner Burns in their normal spots on Friday and Saturday, uh, they elected to use Thursday how they would have normally played Sunday, which is sort of a whole staff approach, try to piece together a game. LSU, meanwhile, moved up Walker and Marceau, and in game three, they'll you know TBA it right now. Um, I do have some thoughts on that, but LSU had to win game one. It was the only game of the series where they had a distinct pitching advantage, and it it worked out. So uh, Eric Walker was very good. He did exactly what LSU needed him to do. He pitched uh, six innings, but he did pitch into the seventh before giving way to Todd Peterson. Uh, just two hits, one run. It was a homer, which uh, allowed Auburn to get on the board first, one to nothing in the second inning. But LSU in the third responded with a four spot. And that added single runs in the fourth, the sixth, and the seventh, all solo homers, which allowed them to extend the lead to seven to one, which of course was the final. So, what they needed Eric Walker to do was go extend deep into a ball game and preserve the rest of the pitching staff for the rest of the weekend. And that's exactly what Eric Walker did. It didn't start off like that. Uh, Walker had a rough first inning, and after two innings, he was at 41 pitches. Remember, Typically, you want to average between 12 and 15 pitches an inning as a starter. And so when you're at 41 pitches through two innings, you're pacing far beyond that, and you're probably not going to be able to extend deep into a ball game. But Walker found it uh, after the second inning. He found his command. He found his changeup. And he had a couple of quick innings, which allowed that pitch count to normalize. And Walker got through six innings, six-plus, on 96 pitches. So he did have three walks. He struck out five, but just two hits. When Eric Walker is at his best, he's mixing speeds up and down, changing sides of the plate with location, pinpoint with his accuracy, and inducing weak contact. And that's what that's what Eric Walker did throughout his six innings of ball uh, on Thursday night. And most importantly, it allowed LSU and pulmonary to preserve Zach Hess and preserve Devin Fontenot, preserve Matthew Beck, the best arms in the bullpen. They did, however, use Todd Peterson. Now, my feeling on that is, by the way, I I cannot, I, I do not agree with the decision to use Todd Peterson. Uh, at the time Peterson entered the game in the uh, in the seventh, uh, LSU was up six to one. You had a five-run lead, and Auburn's offense had done a whole lot of nothing. At that point, with a five-run lead where one swing of the bat can't beat you or tie you, at that point, in my opinion, you go get Aaron George or Will Rapole or 
Clay Moffitt or anybody else you need just to get you to the end of the game and get you through it. Now, if things get dicey, then you can go call on Peterson or Hess or Fontenot or one of those guys uh, to finish it off for you. Uh, as it is, they went to Todd Peterson in the seventh and in the eighth. He ended up throwing 22 pitches efficiently, did not allow a hit or a run. He did walk two, he struck out two, but ultimately with a 7-1 to lead in the ninth, instead of taxing Peterson any further, they went to Aaron George. He walked the leadoff guy, but he did end up striking out two when he got through the inning without any damage done, and LSU got the win. So Todd Peterson could give LSU an inning in game two uh, Friday, but more likely, and Maneri alluded to this after the game, more likely is something that I suggested yesterday was probably the case on this podcast, and more likely is that Todd Peterson's going to start game three. Uh, Zach Hess, you would think, would be an option, but realistically, if there's a situation in Friday's game two where Hess could pitch, they'll pitch him you know, if necessary, and then you would think P- uh, Peterson would start game three on Saturday. We'll get to that in a bit, but the bottom line from, from Thursday night's game one, LSU won, and Eric Walker did exactly what he needed to do, which was save the staff for the next two days, which is what Mikhail Hilliard could not do each of the last two weeks pitching on Thursday or in, you know, in game one where he struggled to get through three innings and ultimately you ended up taxing the bullpen and using a lot of your arms just to get through it. Uh, offensively, we hoped LSU could get off against Elliott Anderson. Anderson, of course, is a junior lefty. We told you yesterday he'd only made one start in his career. So uh, this was an opportunity to get uh, to get going against a guy who is not a was not one of Auburn's better arms. Um but also was a lefty, and we know LSU has struggled this year against lefties. And one time through the lineup, it looked like LSU was really going to struggle. They went up and down in order in the first, and the first two batters and uh, were up and or they were up and down in order in the second, and then the first two batters of the third, and it was LSU was 0, 0 for eight. Uh, they had not gotten up a base runner one time through the lineup until Saul Garza stepped up in the third inning with two outs, and he slapped a single up the middle, and that started. The chain reaction. The lineup flipped over, and the second time this lineup saw Elliot Anderson, they were ready to tee off. And Smith and Watson and Duplantis and Cabrera all singled. LSU had five consecutive singles. Auburn also had an error in the mix. So the Tigers put up a four spot, all with two outs in the third. That gave Walker the lead, and uh, LSU would never look back. But really, look, you can look up and down this lineup. And, you know, Zach Watson was two for four, and Duplantis had a couple of hits as well, including the homer. You know, Cabrera was one for four on the night. But the one that's going to stand out is Saul Garza, who was three for four with two runs scored and an RBI, and also had maybe the defensive play of the game when it looked like Auburn was threatening against Eric Walker. They had runners at second and third with one out, and former Tiger Rankin Woley, a ball scooted away from Garza. Woley broke from third. Garza was able to recover, threw down a third, and got Woley out for the second out, and then Walker was able to get out of the inning. Um, Saul Garza has become a force, and hitting in the nine hole is super impressive. You know, if he's hitting 235, but realistically, when you look at what he's been able to do from his home run in the Florida series to now, he's been one of the most dominant bats in LSU's lineup. And LSU needed that. They needed a right handed hitter to emerge. And I'm. I, I don't want to, I don't want to speak this into existence, but I think at this point, whenever you're talking about a guy in Garza who clearly is seeing the ball very well, um, he's a big, built young guy 
who's a fine defensive catcher, and when he has power to all fields like he does, as he has displayed over the last month, Saul Garza is is likely now going to be a very high draft pick. So that's one that maybe a month ago you didn't think you'd be sweating out that now you may have to sweat out for next year to see if Garza returns in 2020 uh, for LSU. But in any event, uh, LSU gets the win in game one. Eric Walker was magnificent. Saul Garza was awesome offensively and defensively. LSU hit a really one through nine. Chris Reed and Hal Hughes both went 0 for 4, as uh, did Brant Broussard. So we kind of have to talk about that if um, if Maneri makes any changes in the lineup with those guys. I don't expect it, uh, especially against a, right, uh, a lefty tonight in Jack Owen. But we'll talk about game two when we come back. It is Locked on LSU, your team every day. I think the players understand, you know, what's at stake. Auburn's still got their top two starting pitchers that they're going to throw at us the next two days. So they, they know the challenge. I mean, it's a nice victory, and I'm glad we got it. And, uh, and now we need to show that we can play consecutive days in a row. And, you know, if we want to dream of winning a regional, you have to win three games in a weekend. If you want to dream of winning a super regional, you got to win them. you got to win two. got to be able to put one behind you and get ready for the next day. And I reminded the kids, that the score is 0-0. It's not 7-1 to starting tomorrow. Well said there by Paul Maneri after LSU's Game 1 win and looking ahead to Game 2, LSU-Auburn tonight, Friday, out at, uh, at uh, Alec Box Stadium. So the challenge in Game 2 becomes much more sincere uh, for LSU. But I will point out that you know th- this Auburn team is despite the fact that they've got some really good starting pitchers. Jack Owen, the guy that's going to pitch tonight, is a really good starting pitcher, and he's got a sub-2 ERA at one nine one. Tanner Burns, who's going to pitch on Saturday in Game 3 of this series, is a really good starting pitcher. He's one of the best strikeout pitchers in the SEC with 90 strikeouts, 91 strikeouts in 70 innings. But this is an Auburn team also that right now is at 13-15 and 15 in conference play. And in large part, it's because even though they've had good starting pitching, the bullpen hasn't been great, and at times their lineup has just gone into a hole. And if LSU gets good starting pitching that can limit Auburn offensively, then it doesn't take an avalanche of offense to break through. Uh, tonight's an interesting challenge. Uh, tonight, LSU will, as we mentioned, uh, take on uh, Auburn, and they'll face Jack Owen. And Jack Owen is a uh, Jack Owen's a really good pitcher. He is uh, the guy that started on Friday last week against Georgia. He's a a, a lefty who's got a sub two ERA, as we mentioned. He last week uh, took the loss, but it was one of those days where it didn't go his way. He got shelled by Georgia. It was an eleven to two game, and he only pitched three and two thirds innings. He allowed six runs on seven hits. Only struck out three and walked one. Owen is not a big-time strikeout pitcher like we discussed, but um, he is a guy that is is accurate from the left side, Can just knows how to get college hitters out. As of right now, he is sitting on um, – uh, he is at 40 strikeouts for the season in 42 innings pitched. It's also worth noting that he missed a month of the season. So don't let the 42 innings deceive you. He's a starter. He's a really good lefty, but he missed a month with with that sort of elbow soreness that's dealt that a lot of LSU pitchers 
have dealt with this year. The question I think that Paul Maneri is going to have to answer with um, with Owen on the mound tonight, a lefty, and knowing you're facing a righty tomorrow in Tanner Burns, is you know do you stick with the lineup that that's been working for you? And my guess is he will. Uh, you know, and the other thing is with Maneri, and I'm specifically thinking about Hal Hughes at third because Chris Reed's been at third for the bulk of the season, but. You know, it's it's my feeling that the reason Maneri is going with Hughes at third and Reed at first is he wants – in part, he's talked about Cade Beloso's ankle, but realistically, if you're going to let someone hit and run the bases, they're, they're competent enough or healthy enough to go stand on first base and play first. Uh, but if Paul Maneri feels like Hughes at third, Reed at first is a better defensive lineup – when your pitching staff hasn't been dominant, in parts you want the best defensive lineup possible behind them to limit opponent scoring opportunities. And that makes sense. We talked about it last week uh, in the situation where Peterson came into the game against Arkansas with the bases loaded, nobody out, infield in, he got a ground ball to third, Hughes threw the runner out at home, got another ground ball, they went home to first for a double play to get out of the inning. That's in part what can happen when you've got your best defensive lineup in the field. So I think in part that's what Maneri's thinking. He wants, because his pitchers are struggling, he wants the best possible defense behind him. But similarly, I think he also wants right-handed bats in the lineup against a left-handed starter. The question is, does Gavin Duga get another look? Uh, Duga, since the double against Ole Miss, remember when he came back from injury uh, against Alabama, he had a nice weekend, uh, hit well in the midweek. The game won against Ole Miss had two two knocks, including a double, an RBI double. From that point to now, he's 0 for his last 18. Uh, he has gone ice cold at the plate, Gavin Duga has, which is why, in part, you're seeing Brant Broussard play second base because Brant has been just a little more consistent uh, at the plate of late, and I guess you figure it's somewhat of a push, if not a, a lean to Broussard defensively. So I think the question that Maneri has to answer tonight is do you keep Hal Hughes at third, do you keep your best defensive lineup in, which I think he will, and if that's the case, do you play Duga at second or keep Broussard there, or do you DH Duga in place of Beloso? For me, it's very hard to justify taking Beloso out of the lineup now, especially since he homered off of a lefty in game one. Cade Beloso all season, in my opinion, has been one of the most uh, pleasant, consistent hitters on this team, either side of the plate against lefties or righties. You can tell that he's a guy who understands his approach at the plate, who knows how to hit to all fields and has power to all fields as well. And I want those guys in the lineup. I want a guy in the lineup that can bang a double off the wall or change the scoreboard with one swing, especially against better pitching when your opportunities may be few and far between. LSU stringed together five consecutive two-out singles last night in a four-run third inning. That's atypical. Uh, more likely, especially against good pitching, you're going to need to blast one off the wall or over the fence to change the scoreboard in a hurry. And if you have guys that can do that, I want them in the lineup. That's why I want Cabrera batting cleanup. That's why I want Garza in the lineup. That's why I want Beloso in the lineup tonight, even against uh, a lefty. So LSU and, uh, and Auburn tonight, it's a 7 o'clock first pitch from the box. Tigers have a chance to win the series. Um, Landon Marceau is going to go for the Tigers. If it is within striking distance, uh, one way or another, a one-run game, I think if Marceau can get you to five, then you give the ball to Hess and let Hess see if he can get it to the end with with Beck or Fontenot. And if there's a, a wider gap, 
then I think you have a decision to make. If you're Paul Maneri, do you punt this game? If, if you're down big, do you punt this game and play for the win in game three against Tanner Burns with very likely Todd Peterson going for the start? But here's hoping that LSU offensively can do against, um, against Jack Owen what Georgia was able to do last week, and that's get to him early, chase him out of the game, and take advantage of a, 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 um, uh, a suspect Auburn bullpen. So Tigers go for the series win tonight. Realistically, if you split one of the next two, you're staring at um, uh, you're staring at 17 conference wins, and as long as you win on Tuesday in Hoover, you are going to be a regional host site, which is what realistically I think is possible for this team at this point. All right, it's Locked on LSU, your team every day. We'll knock out our final break, come back and wrap up next. Stick around. We are wrapping up another edition of the Locked on LSU podcast, your team every day. I'm Matt Moscona. As we get out of here, I just I did want to share this uh, with you. Lane Kiffin, uh, FAU coach and former Alabama offensive coordinator, of course, and good friend of Ed Ogeron, was on uh, Off the Bench with Jordy Collada and T-Bob Baybear. You can go listen to that entire interview at uh, 1045ESPN.com. Click on demand. A couple of quick tidbite, uh, tidbits, though. One was about Nick Saban in light of us learning that Nick Saban uh, enjoys Game of Thrones, Lane Kiffin did share one uh, human moment from Lane uh, from uh, Nick Saban when Saban was the uh, the obviously when Kiffin was Saban's offensive coordinator. We went. Uh, my kids were in town for Easter, and after church, we went over to his house, and it was really just us and his family. He invited us over, and he was running the Easter egg hunt with the kids, wow. hiding the eggs, and and so that that was really kind of the first time I saw that side. Is it like a little scary? Is it like seeing like the emperor with no clothes on? Just kind of like, whoa. <laughs> I was like, is that everything okay with you, coach? Right. <laughs> don't, we have some, don't we have some film to go watch? <laughs> he, he made he made sure his grand his grandkid got the golden egg though. So <laughs> his, his, his competitiveness his competitiveness showed there at the end. I just see Saban knocking Kevin's kids out of the way to make sure his grandkid gets the golden egg. One more from Lane Kiffin. Uh, this is Lane Kiffin talking about Ed Ogeron, his good friend Ed Ogeron. Yeah, I think you know the way that season ended and the, the great bowl win, and you know that obviously you know, makes anybody feel, feel more comfortable. And so, um, you know, it's good to see his hard work paying off, and and it, it'll just get better and better as he continues to you know get his his roster in there. And uh, speaking of Ed Ogeron, earlier this week, of course, Ed Ogeron was in Homa at the coach's caravan stop. Uh, our friend Mike Detillier, who joins me on After Further Review every Thursday, was there at the caravan stop and did radio with Ed Ogeron. And he shared a couple of anecdotes with us about uh, about Caleb on Chasson and about a couple of freshman linemen that uh, Coach O is bullish about right now. I asked Coach O about uh, Caleb on Chasson off mm-hmm. the air. And you know, he's only two guys at LSU I've heard him talk about in those terms were Jamal Adams, Devin White. And he went on and Good on company. and on about about Chason. And now he's got Chason and Delpit. And talking about both of them, to hear him speak about those two guys uh, was remarkable. But I told him the story. We put Pete Jenkins in the Touchdown Club Hall of Fame, um, one of the all-time great assistant coaches of all time. And they got some guy, he walks up, and as we were talking, and, you know, he comes up and says, you know what, guys, I think this Caleb on Chason, he's an overrated player. And Pete just took, like, one good look at him, and he said, overrated in what? <laughs> and the guys was like, well, all he wants to do is rush the quarterback. He said, well, damn, if he can put that quarterback on his back, 
as many times as he can. He said, you know, I, he's going to play the run, but Pete just went off. Oh, the fact that, man, if you don't think that Chason's a great player, you don't know a damn thing about football. Nothing. And, you know, it was typical Pete uh, to really kind of just spot it real quickly, and, man, he he got it out fast. Well, the guy didn't have too much to say afterwards. I'd but imagine. Again, it was Pete being Pete, and, and Ed got such a big kick out of that that he was like, man, you know, he's a game changer for us. And he said, one of the things we're going to try to do defensively is try to get a lot of pressure and understanding that we can get after you in different ways, uh, that first down is going to be critical because he believes that now this game has changed to the point where teams are going to try to set up the run by throwing the football. And he really believes kind of in a sicker mode for Chason to, to change that early count if you can get to the quarterback on first down. Uh, Mike, uh, I didn't get a thought on Burrow going to the Manning Passing Academy. That, that was no surprise. Archie told me a few weeks back that he felt very strongly <laughs> that Joe would be there. And, uh, boy, they, they got an all-star crew again. And uh, last year, Lowell came just to throw the ball. I've seen some reports that, you know, no LSU quarterback was there last year. That's incorrect. Uh, Lowell Narcisse, who was still on LSU's team, did come for the Thursday throw uh, with all the college counselors and, and the Manning. So Lowell was there, but no one else uh, from LSU. So for Joe to show up, that, that's certainly big there. Just It's almost osmosis, you know, uh, to, to go there. I know Mettenberger was, was there. Uh, uh, Jefferson was there a few years back also, but... Uh, and uh, under Les Miles, uh, we didn't have a lot of participation at the Manning camp from LSU quarterbacks. It surprised me. I mean, come on, yeah. that ain't that far a ride, is it? I mean, no. you can't get lost. Well, you could uh, from <laughs> Baton Rouge to Thibodeau, but, but come on, you, that's not a real far drive. And so it surprised me. And for whatever reasons, it wasn't, I think, pushed. But I, I, Joe coming here now, he's also got Jake Fromm, who was here a year ago, Justin Herbert who wasn't here a year ago but was here two years ago, is here. And with Tua Tungvaloa, I think he's trying to do two camps at one time, and he will try to show up for the Manning camp. So, man, you're in some pretty big competition there with those guys in the fray. Again, if you want to catch our full hour with Mike Dettelier, it's at 1045ESPN.com. Click On Demand after further review, and then on the, the date, the 16th, May 16th, you will see uh, the full interview, the full hour with football analyst Mike Dettelier. All right, it's going to do it for us here on the Locked on LSU podcast. Have an awesome weekend. We'll be back on Monday recapping the LSU-Auburn series. Until then, this is Locked on LSU, your team every day.